Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. This morning, what we're going to do is we are going to kick off um, a new series. And we're going to be in this series. We're starting it on Memorial Day. We'll probably end it somewhere around Labor Day. But what we're doing is we are just going to walk this summer through the gospel according to Mark. And so over the next uh, 14, 15 weeks, we're just going to be looking at uh, Jesus's life through the lens of Mark and how he decided to capture his story. Um, I remember early on as a Christian, didn't really understand. People would say, turn to the gospel of John, turn to the gospel of Matthew. And first of all, you kind of got to, you know, early on, you got to go to the table of contents. You're like, where, where is that thing in here? I, I thought this whole thing was the gospel. You know, I'm just like, I thought this whole thing, which I wasn't, I wasn't totally wrong about that, I guess. Like it's all God's grand redemptive story. Um, but really what we have in the Bible is we have four distinct perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, people actually agree, and, and there's not total agreement on this, that Mark was one of the first written gospels and that Matthew and Luke both borrowed from his perspective uh, to jot down some of their take as well. But what's beautiful about Mark is it's 16 power-packed chapters of who Jesus was, what he did while it he was on this earth, and then what it looks like to follow him. Those are three statements we're going to come back to all summer long. Who is this God-man Jesus? Who is he? Who is it that we, are, that we are reading about? Why did he come? Why would a God forsake heaven, step down, put on human flesh, and come to earth to be with us? Why would he do that? And then at the very last bit of this, we're going to also consider what does it mean to follow Jesus? We hear that a lot. Oh, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a believer in Christ. But what do we really mean when we're saying that? And so this is going to be what we come back to over and over again. I think my invitation, because I know, like I said, there's a lot of you, maybe it's your first time uh, in here on a Sunday morning, and we just want to say we're, we're thrilled you're here. Well, thank you for coming and worshiping with us this morning. I would love to invite you as we go on this journey through Mark together. Mark is... Mark's power packed. He doesn't elaborate on much. It's kind of like that gif. I don't know if you've ever sent it to your friends before, but there's like this uh, mediocre sized puddle in front of a guy and he jumps into it and he just disappears, right? And so Mark is kind of like that where it's like, it's this short book, but it's deep and it helps us get the gospel into us. The gospel is something you never graduate from, amen? Like we always need to be reminded of who Jesus was, what he was doing on this earth and what it means to put, pursue him with our whole life. We, didn't, we couldn't think of a better way to follow up Life on Mission, which was a series we just did for the last 13, 14 weeks to go, okay, what does that mean to live a life on mission? It's like, well, we should probably just follow Jesus around for a little bit because he did it perfectly, right? So um, I don't know that we'll do this every week, but something we like to do from time to time is we like to just stand as we honor the reading of God's word. So I've actually asked my friend Abraham, my good friend Abraham, if he would actually help me read these first few verses of Mark. So yeah. Um, can I get that microphone back? Where did it go? Someone just chuck it at me. I'll catch it. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Very expensive. It's kind of insane. And they're back ordered like a year right now, if you can believe it. Okay. Abe, you got this, buddy. First three verses of Mark, hold on. And if you would, would you just mind, would you stand as we just honor what's being read? Because this is the word of the Lord. It might be coming from a little mouth. Same God though, right, buddy? Yep. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make the path straight. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. And then if we wanted to be really kind of liturgical, we could say, this is the word of the Lord. And you all would say, thanks be to God, not amen. They did the same thing first service. We need to practice this a little bit. We'll get better. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beautiful. Thanks, buddy. You can go have a seat. Hey, will you do me a favor? Just hand that to your dad, my man. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so Mark, Mark jumps right in. He wastes no time. And this is one of the things that I love about the gospel of Mark is that if, if you go and you sit down, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna read about the life of Jesus. And you open up and you go, I'm gonna start with the book of Matthew. Great choice, by the way. But if you start in Matthew, what you're gonna do in chapter one is you're gonna spend a ton of time hanging out with a bunch of names. Right, it just goes straight genealogy. And you're like, I thought I was reading about Jesus. And it's like, well, it's getting there, but it goes all through Jesus, through this genealogy to get to Jesus. If you're going to start in the book of Luke, you get, you get the Christmas telling at first, right? You get this, that's where we get all, almost all of the Christmas story is from Luke. But Mark jumps right in with Jesus's baptism. There, there are two things that happened before Jesus began his ministry. And that was his baptism and his temptation by the devil. And so what we get to see when we jump right in with Mark is Mark, he doesn't provide any editorial comments for us. He doesn't really feel like elaborating at times. Mark delivers the truth straight up for us. And I think that's something that we just need to be reminded of from time to time is this, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus did. And when we get finally to the very end of this thing, we're going to read Mark's telling of the great commission, uh, which has a lot more stuff about snakes and demons. And it's going to be awesome because it's way more charismatic than any of us would, would like to admit. But it's, it's amazing. And it's all in there. See, the gospels, the four gospels together, they each are um, authored, obviously, by a person under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we don't believe that somebody was all of a sudden like kind of caught up into heaven. They went to like a, uh, some out-of-body experience and started writing. It was their personality under the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They captured words as they needed to perfectly. And, and what Mark does is he, he hones straight in on pure gospel. What, who is this person, Jesus, and what did he do? Um, what, I, what I love and that what we begin to see is that Mark, it kind of, as you look at the gospels overlaying together, um, I, I've thought of it this way this morning. You know, the number one song right now for Disney, the number one song ever right now for Disney? It's We Don't Talk About Bruno. No, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno, right? Yeah. Okay. Kids, you're with me. Kids, come on. Okay. So what we have with Bruno, okay, Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? He wrote Hamilton. He wrote all the soundtrack for Hamilton. Are, you, are my cultural references just completely missing right now? We sh you should care more about some of this art that's being produced right now because it's amazing. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. And what's beautiful about it, right? If you remember, it's everyone's distinct story of their uncle Bruno, Tio Bruno, right? And they capture that. And what, what Lin-Manuel Miranda does with the song is they each sing their part. And what happens at the end? It all overlays together in this climactic moment of the song, which is awesome. And everyone's singing their different parts and they all go together beautifully. That's what happens when we lay the gospels on top of each other. We might have some questions about like, wait, what about this detail here and this detail there? But they actually all harmonize together, together beautifully. What we're going to choose to do over these next several weeks is we're going to focus purely on Mark and we'll pull in different stories from the other gospels. But what I would encourage you to do is at the very least, spend some time with you and even with your kids over this summer. Spend some time reading through the gospel of Mark. You can read those 16 chapters in probably an hour. 
All right? You can read through those in probably an hour. You can read through them in a sitting. So read big chunks of scripture. I love, I love, love, love reading like a verse of the day and reading my devotional plan for the day. But beyond that, I want to understand the stories that are being told in the Bible. Not just one little bite at a time, but I want to read them together. And so as we read through Mark, maybe, maybe you focus in on Mark. Maybe you, maybe you walk through this through Matthew's perspective or through Luke's perspective, through John, and you can read them all together and we can get a full idea of who Jesus is and what he did. So that's what we're going to try and do. I have, I have virtually no time because of all the stuff that's going on. So we have three points that we're, going to care, that we're going to cover this morning. What we're going to cover is proclamation. We're going to cover repentance. And we're going to cover baptism. Because those are the first three things that we see in the gospel of Mark. So Mark comes on the scene. It says in Mark 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist, right? If you read about him, kind of weird dude out in the wilderness doing his thing with his camel skin, his leather belt, his camel hair, and he's eating locusts. He's got grasshopper legs all up in his teeth, eating honey and just doing his thing right out there. But what he's consistently doing is he's proclaiming that God is coming. He's proclaiming that God is good and that he's made a way. He's made a path. And the way that John decides to to proclaim that Jesus has come, that that this Christ, this long-awaited Messiah has arrived, is he quotes a verse out of Isaiah. But what's awesome is Isaiah is quoting a verse out of Exodus. And so if we look at these two together, Mark says from Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. In Exodus, remember, we went through this Exodus series, this this grand story of Israel as they were in captivity bondage. They were held under the oppression of Egypt. They were liberated dramatically by God, brought out to eventually go to the promised land. And what God says before they get to the promised land is he says, behold, I send an angel or messenger before you. In the original language, those two sentences are verbatim the same thing. And so Mark is being intentional to call our minds all the way back to the story of Exodus. Why? Because he's trying to get across the point that we are trying to consistently tell every weekend. That this is not many stories from many different angles trying to grasp many ideas. It's many different people trying to articulate one story. That God from heaven came down to save his creation that he made and that he loves. And it's one story throughout scripture. It doesn't matter where you go. If you go all the way back to Exodus, if you pick it up in Isaiah, if you pick it up in the Gospels, if you look ahead to Revelation, it's one story. That God made the world and he made it beautifully. And because we have chosen to sin, that world has fallen and it is broken, hence the events that happened this week. That didn't just happen because, because they're, they're, it's just kind of blind, purposeless indifference. That happens because there is an enemy, there is an evil God of this age that people choose to give themselves over to rather than follow after the God who created and does everything, who is reigning and ruling our God that we serve. And because of that sin, God had to make himself away. And so he sends his son, Jesus, to not just rescue us from bad things, but to make us alive together again in Christ, to offer us a more full, a more beautiful version of life than we could ever pursue or ever find on our own. And that's not gonna just end. We're not gonna just taste it right here in the right now. We're waiting for this day to come when all things are consummated. When, when, when the, the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth begin, that is the gospel story. That is the gospel story. And John is just out there proclaiming it. He's just out there going, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the beautiful thing. You might not be able to quote Isaiah, 
Let me say it this way. You might not even know off the top of your head where Isaiah is in your Bible, but you have a voice to proclaim what God can do. Don't you? Every single person in this room, you don't have to be able to cite chapter verse from me, but what you can do is you can prepare a move of God by using your voice to proclaim how good he is. You can. John the Baptist is simply just out there baptizing people, using his voice, the instrument that God gave to all of us. And he's out there just saying, hey, be prepared. The kingdom of God is at hand. And his voice, his proclamation is preparing a way, ushering in uh, the kingdom of God to be able to do something. And your voice can do the same thing by just talking about who God is, what he's capable of, how he's brought you from here to there, what he's doing in your life right now. All that is proclamation to prepare the world around you for God to do something, for a move of God to happen. So many of us, we're so, we're so desperate in different situations for God to break through. My question is, are you using your voice to prepare that breakthrough to happen? Because that's what proclamation is. It's declaring the truth about who God is. Even if you don't know, you might not be able to find Habakkuk in your Bible. That's okay. You can still proclaim the goodness of God, can't you? And in the meantime, look up Habakkuk. It's a great book. You should read it. So we have proclamation first. The next thing that we see is, is repentance. So in repentance, we see um, that John is, or, um, John the Baptist, he's out there calling people to repent. This word repent is literally to, to change direction. It's like I'm going this way and the invitation to repent means stop going that way and start going this way. It's to change your mind, thinking that this is right. And now I'm gonna say, no, I'm gonna change my mind literally to now say this is right. And this is, I think the mistake we make in church is that repentance is offered to us at the moment when we first believe in Jesus, but we forget that repentance has to be an ongoing practice for the believer. So you don't just say one day, hey, you know, way back then when I was 18 years old, I decided to give my life to Jesus. I repented from my old way of living and I started facing a new direction. Like at that moment, listen to me, I was saved. I was, I was destined for heaven at that moment. But now as I, I need to continue walking in this direction. And that's what the apostle Paul says. I'm being transformed by the renewal of my mind, a continual process. See, because here's the, here's the harsh reality is that everyone in your heart somewhere, you still have some pocket of you that hasn't given over yet to the Lordship of Christ. So we're gonna get to see a lot about the kingdom of God in Mark and that's in weeks to come. But basically here's, here's the gist of the story. You don't get the king or you don't get the kingdom unless you, unless you cry out to him as king. A lot of people wanna make Jesus their savior. They're just reluctant to make him their, their Lord. But it's a both and invitation. And so what Jesus offers us is to lay aside our old way of living and to pursue his vision for life. But in the midst of that, our heart is never, um, I think it's Augustine who says our heart is never idle at making idols. Our heart is never still in this fact that we want to give our love. We want to place our hope. We want to pursue peace and comfort in things besides God. Listen, I'll level with the congregation here for just a minute. Uh, This last week, as we have this horrific tragedy down in Texas, uh, the the, like the Holy Spirit was kind enough in this week to reveal to me, I think I had a little bit of an idol in my heart towards some of the things that I believe are keeping me safe, that are in my safe at home. You following where I'm going with that? I think at times, I think at times we can give, we can convince ourselves that that's what keeps me safe and not that I'm protected under, under the shelter of the wings of the Most High God. I, I, there are times when I think our, our money provides for us a certain sense of happiness or a certain sense of comfort 
when God's saying, hey, that's a broken cistern. That, that, that can't hold the weight of your soul. Only I can. And so idols are anything that we've given our worship, given our uh, devotion, giving our affection over. There are things that are not God. And so if you just run through the list, maybe it's the way that your kids are performing in the sports that they're playing. Maybe it's the way that you look at your retirement account every other day. Maybe it's the way that you treat your marriage. Maybe it's the way that you treat your guns. Maybe it's the way that you treat your politicians. And what we realize after enough time sitting in it is we go, oh my gosh, I've been, I've been looking for peace in this. I've been looking for comfort in this rather than taking that to the throne room of God. Uh, like it, over the last couple of years, man, we have seen idolatry of people's health in a big time way where they're willing to forsake all these things that they know are right just so that we can stay healthy. And like, listen, I, I want to stay healthy as much as the next person, but, but this body is not my ultimate body. Amen? Like God's got a renewed version of this thing that I just can't wait to get in and drive, right? I, it's so easy to just tolerate fear as this kind of okay, low-lying thing that we all just have and we all kind of have anxiety or fear and it just exists. Fear is sinful, Fear is a lack of trust in the Lord. And so that in, in and of itself is sin, right? Fear is, is this, th I had this lady talking to me first service. She's like, I heard it said one time, fear is anything that stands between you and God and, and you choose to put it there, right? So you, you say this is, is bigger than God. What we need to do with fear is we need to take that thing that's causing fear, set it under the throne of God and it's still there, but we see it under the weight of Jesus reigning and ruling on his throne, there's so many different poles in our culture right now that you can give yourself over to that repentance becomes the ongoing practice for every believer that we need to consistently go, wow, I, I was putting too much hope in my money. I was putting too much um, just trust or I was putting too much of this in my relationships. And what we do is we go, God, I need to look to you for those things. You are my wisdom. You are my vision. Just like we sang in that first song. We lay those th things aside and the ongoing practice for the Christian is confession and repentance. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I need you. God, help me turn from this. Help me quit putting so much hope in that. Help me quit uh, loving this thing to the point where it actually ruins my day if it doesn't go well. But help me continually lift my eyes up and focus on you. That's what repentance is. It's leaving the ways of this world behind, focusing our minds on Christ and trusting that his will and his ways are perfect. Always. So we have, we have in Acts 3, 19. It says, repent, therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Here's the beautiful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that for all the areas that we failed to, to give up while we're here on earth, Jesus paid for them all. Like the sin, the shame, the penalty of all those things is dealt with on the cross of Christ and it is sealed in the resurrection. Where we get to go, no, I, I have hope because the grave is empty. If there was still sin to be paid for, Jesus would still be buried. But because he has resurrected, because he has shown that he's been triumphant over sin and over death and over the grave, now I get to live with expectancy and hope, which brings me to the last point of baptism. So baptism, we see two baptisms in the beginning part of Mark here. Mark chapter one, starting in verse four, says that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins, which is beautiful. It's great, right? Here we keep reading. It says, now John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. 
And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And verse eight, look at this. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we see two kinds of baptisms here at the very beginning of Mark. The first one is a baptism of water. Water baptism is something that every believer is called to do. In the book of Acts, we see that people believed and they were baptized. It was just this natural response. And what baptism is, when we celebrate water baptisms here in just a minute, we did four first service. We got a few more to do this service. It is, the, it is a uh, physical picture for a spiritual reality that's happening. So this person is saying, I have, I have died with Christ. I'm going under the water. And in that death, he is, he is faithful to resurrect me, to bring me up into new life. And I have been washed of my sin because of Christ's righteousness alone. But that, that, that righteousness doesn't go on you when you get baptized. That righteousness is on you as soon as you profess and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life and you give yourself over to him. So you don't, that's why we say all the time, you don't need to be baptized to go to heaven. You, you don't need to. You need to, have, you need to have this moment where you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. That's what makes you saved. What baptism is, it's, this, it's like this wedding ring that I wear. Just because I slap this thing on my finger, that doesn't make me married, Right? but it's an outward expression of an inward reality that I belong to Katie. I belong to her. As is with baptism, the water baptism moment is this public profession of an inward decision to give yourself over to Christ. And so here's the, the invitation is like, man, if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, I'm not looking for like third, fourth, fifth baptism so we can just pad the stats. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I think that actually misconstrues what baptism really is. What I'm looking for are people who have never gotten in that tank before. And I'll tell you, in a crowd like this, you know who's really reluctant to get baptized? It's the person who's been following Jesus for the last 20 years, you know? They followed Jesus for the last 20 years and they're just like, oh yeah, I meant to do that. But now, you know, it's been so long, it's kind of awkward. Repent, believe, be baptized. It's the pattern of every New Testament believer. Jesus Christ himself gets baptized. And he, this is what we read. This is why he's baptized. We see this in Corinthians. In Corinthians, it says, for our sake, he made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin. See, this amazing thing is Jesus didn't need to get baptized. Right? He was perfect. But he gets baptized. Why? Because it's this identity statement that he's making. When you get baptized into Christ, what you're saying, when you're getting baptized in water, what you're saying is, I belong to him. Do you know, in some, in some uh, Muslim tradition, even now in the world that we're living in today, if a believer gets baptized in the name of Jesus, the Muslims will actually hold a funeral for that person because they are dead to them. It is, baptism is this identity statement. And what Jesus does when he gets baptized is, is he, he's identifying with our human nature, our brokenness and our sin, even though he had none for him, his, himself. But God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the first baptism we see, and I would love to invite you into it. But the second baptism we see is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. And if you want to know more about how we believe in this, Kent did a message on this back in January. But baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, we don't believe it's this moment where you just all of a sudden get a prayer language. We believe this is an ongoing, continual invitation by the Spirit of God to just constantly be more and more immersed into who He is. That's what baptism means, is to be immersed into and so we just believe that, man, there's more of the Holy Spirit available for all of us. And so just like the invitation for this ongoing ethic of repentance and confession is available for us, part of that is because we want more of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us, don't we? 
But if we're consistently choosing sin, what the Holy Spirit's saying is like, hey, I've given you power over that. So there's no real victim mentality with sin. We choose to give ourselves over to it. The Holy Spirit has given us power to, to say no to sin every single time. But we, in our weakness, we will continually turn back to it. But the, whole, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit available to you right now is saying, you might be choosing to do that, but you don't have to live there. I don't know what it is for you. Lust, greed, different, different places where you're putting your trust and your hope that aren't Jesus. I don't know, every, every, here's what I do know. Every single person in this room has a teeny little pocket in your heart where you're still, you're still trying to probably hold on just a little bit to that former way of living. And the invitation from Christ this morning is repent, come the other direction, come towards him, leave that old way of living behind. And if, if you want to, you can lay it aside because the Holy Spirit is inside of you and he is always calling us into righteousness, always into truth. Amen.